Today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Go to oseamalibu.com slash athlete for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more. Free shipping for U.S. orders of $75 and up and free samples with every order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bombas. Bombas makes socks that are comfortable and look great with a wide variety of options. And for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas donates a second pair to someone in need. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash no meat. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C. And you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Doug, remember how, uh, I guess it was like five months ago now when, when this whole lockdown situation began and mm-hmm. we said, we said, what, what a dramatic change this is, right? Obviously a lot of bad things happening, but interesting that suddenly what used to be five nights a week of busyness for me anyway, and for, I think a lot of people, um, you know, it just, it just suddenly became zero nights a week of busyness and it was just <laughs> all this time at home. And then yep. we said, we said, this is interesting because it's going to give us this chance to, like, I feel like we kind of slowly, that, that old frog boiling in water uh, analogy, where if, where if you slowly turn up the heat, then then the, the frog would boil. But if you put him right in boiling water, he would he would hop out. Not a nice vegan thing, but I don't even know if it's true. But uh, we said, maybe we sort of were the frog in, in the water that was slowly boiling, and that's how we got into such busy lives. And now, when it all turns back on again... Maybe we'll be a little more mindful this time and say, you know what? I'm going to protect some of my time, and I realize how important this is, and this is a second chance. Uh, I'm yep. back in it. I'm, I'm totally back in. Five days a week, <laughs> <laughs> I got thrown into boiling water and, and did not jump out. <laughs> Five days a week already. And so, and things are like not even all the way back yet. No, I know. They're not even back. But I'm, And two of the nights, I'm driving to Greenville, to South Carolina. Oh, for, man. For three hours of, of training. So it's, so it's like a seven-hour evening those nights. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which, which I, I actually enjoy them. It's fun. I like the car time because the trips aren't too long of a ride. It's just enough where you can like listen to a couple podcasts or language lessons and have some good kid time. You know, it's, And I really enjoy watching the soccer still. That, that never gets old for me. But uh, at the same time, Ellery is just reaching the age now where she can do like the academy soccer here. And so she began also yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like we're back and it, perhaps more than even even before we're just we're just right back in so my hypothesis was wrong that somehow we would be a little more mindful now <laughs> i think i think it went long enough that the uh the lockdown and still is that we got so eager to get back to doing things that uh, yeah that you that just jumped we in blinded. first yep straight into the boiling water <laughs> exactly <laughs> yep that's funny so but not not you it sounds like no, no, we're still we're still pretty uh pretty much locking down. I mean, you know, I don't know. No, just not getting back into a lot of the uh meetings and events and things like that. Although, you know, our daughter is not old enough to be doing soccer camp or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, there's right. no temptation there. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It feels like it's it's I feel like we're super busy in part because we're prepping for like 5 weeks out from a baby. Yep. So, and I uh, hadn't, you know, realized like a week ago that we hadn't done anything. So, um, <laughs> whereas like, you know, before your first baby, you basically spend the entire pregnancy, at least we did, spend the entire pregnancy preparing for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, a couple of weeks ago we were, we looked at each other and we're like, you know, we haven't even like, you know, gotten a crib or a bassinet or <laughs> anything. <laughs> like we haven't even thought about any of that stuff. So, so yeah, so we're, we're cranking through all that, man. And mm. I don't know. It's getting it's getting real. Yeah, it is. Well, that's good. I think I think that attitude in general is uh, common, right, for the second kid. That yep. They, but I think it's a good thing for sure. I think, I mean, you know, the first and second kids turn out different. I think because of all this. But I think I don't think it's a bad thing at all that the parents are somewhat less doting on the children. Yeah, when, I think that's right. You know, more like just let them survive on their own. Let them find a way. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it works. I think it makes better. Not not makes better kids, but I think that as far as parenting attitude, that is better than uh, mm-hmm. over parenting. Over parenting, yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, although we'll see. Have you I, been? Sorry, uh, go ahead. More baby stuff. I was going to move on to beer. I was going to move on to gardens, but you can, we can go <laughs> okay. beer. I like beer better. Let's, let's have hear. you been? Have you gone to a brewery yet in Asheville? There are all kinds of them doing outdoor things. Some, New Belgium, you have to like reserve a 
spot ahead of time. And, it, and I looked last weekend, and it was you couldn't and like for the entire weekend. It was just not not one place available. Wow! But uh, no, I still I ha- haven't done any of that yet. I haven't either. No, which hmm. uh, it's still you know uh, the Pisgah Brewery here in town is one that my daughter still to this day asks for at least twice a week. <laughs> All these months later, she she's like, the, uh, "Can we go to Pisgah today?" Pale ale fan? Is that her? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know what she likes about it because it's not like a particularly nice. No, no. no I mean, like it's dingy. Uh, you know, they always had jungle. music. You know, and she liked the music, and I don't know. Right. It, like, there's not like you know, some of the breweries have huge fields where all the kids are playing and <laughs> right. you know playing ball and like all this stuff. It, it, it wasn't one of those, but she loved it. I don't know. She loved it. So. <laughs> That's yeah. Um. But uh, I will just very briefly talk about the garden. I feel like uh, we get well, feedback. Well, garden was shouted out by Veg News. We should point that out. I know. We Those should. We should stories. give a huge thanks to, to Veg News yeah. for including us in their nine vegan podcasts you need to subscribe to. Right. Um, and it's in some good company. Rich Roll, Our Hen House, Chick Peeps Podcast. Yep. So and in of- particular, they mentioned your garden. They did, and you and your son. I was I was very impressed. This person actually listened to the podcast. You know, yeah, I, I was impressed too. I read we, that to him. I read the thing that said uh, something about Matt's eleven year old soccer star because because he's he's actually ten and he thought that was funny. But then mm-hmm. he he read the article and he thought it was so funny that that, that after that they said and Doug's latest garden adventures <laughs> and he was like. Is that supposed to sound like it's good? Like that's like how is that like a like a good selling point? <laughs> which, which I, I thought, yeah, I guess you're right. If you didn't you didn't listen to it, you might wonder why was that uh, why is that worth mentioning? But I I was I love you. I like you. I was flattered that they did that, and uh, and so many of those things when when you make it in one, into one of those like the Sports Illustrated thing, you get the sense that the person didn't. They just found it on it. Amazon list or some list and so in this case this someone who actually listens wrote that which is awesome yeah really awesome so if they're listening to this thank you very much for yes for including us we're honored um but yeah latest garden adventure for everyone who's on the edge of their seat Mm -hmm. (laughs) now this so this is the time of the year where uh where like the 11 month months out of the year i just i long for this time but when you're in it you're like ugh. (laughs) <laughs> because because you just have so much of all the of like you know we don't have a huge garden so we only have you know maybe five or six different things going right now and uh and it's just so abundant abundance is that the right word yeah okay. so abundant so abundant that uh you just can't keep up and so then you're just like pulling all the stuff and you feel like you have to like freeze it and cook it and you know all this stuff i mean we just have I, I've like literally got buckets of tomatoes when we got back from the lake a couple of days ago. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say zucchini. No, is that no? Oh, so many zucchini. It's the same thing. Tomatoes, zucchini, squash, uh, cucumbers. We're still getting a ton of those. Like it's just uh, there's just so much of everything. I don't know what to do with it. And so it seems like a weird thing to complain about because literally for the rest of the year, uh, I'll be longing for these days when we have all this fresh produce. But um, yeah. It's hard. It's hard work. <laughs> you can do a lot with tomatoes. You can you can make a sauce, but you can even just just like either peel them or not peel them, but just mash them up and strain them or something, and then get the save all that good. I think they call it uh, passata or something, where they save like the strained tomato innards. Oh, you you save the innards, not the juice. Wait, I think they don't want the water so much. Uh-huh. I think they let the water kind of. But I, I, don't, I don't. With fresh tomatoes, I'm not sure. Sometimes with uh, canned tomatoes, you kind of drain away the water, right. but. Um. Yeah, but they definitely they strain out the seeds and the peels, which I don't usually like to do because I think those. I, not I think those are some of the healthiest part of the tomatoes. So you don't want to mm-hmm. get rid of those seeds and peel. But anyway, you could you could mash them up and then preserve them in jars, frozen, mm-hmm. and then make a good sauce one day. Yeah, when you're longing for this time, you can say, "Hey, I got some jars of sauce from eight months ago." <laughs> you know, it's good. It's a good reminder. You just have to do that process. You know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, we are in a similar position. Our, we've had some weird... Our, our tomatoes just never went this year, which is a shame because I really do like mm. tomatoes these days. Uh, our basil is crazy. We have somehow... I don't know what Erin did because she does the garden, but we have like nine different basil plants and they're all just full of basil. Like more than... One basil plant would be more than we could eat in, in the summer and we have nine. So <laughs> Pesto. I, I, that's what we're going to do. It's going to make a large amount of pesto and then just freeze it. We've done that in years past, but... Uh, that is one of my favorite things about Summer Garden is basil at yes. the ready. 
whenever yes. you want. Yes, basil at the ready and fresh pesto. Uh, we've made pre- fresh pesto from the garden several times this year, this summer, and uh, it's just it, it is always so, so good. good. Yeah, so we also have we have a watermelon that's growing this year. Oh, that we've never that's done cool. before. But I don't know how it'll be. It's little right now. Hmm. So anyway, that's the garden segment. And All right, let's see what else. Uh, Ultra marathon goals, that's on there too. <laughs> no, no. Today we're going to be talking about nutrition, though, and that's another one: running and food and whole foods nutrition. <laughs> we're just, uh, we should just go through this list every week. Um, yeah. No, well, this one actually. So this is related to to my uh, child soccer player. In okay. Way, and soccer players. Yep. And, and related to getting back into things and the five days a week because so he he just joined a second club and that's because we wanted to get more training and we were really worried that North Carolina soccer wasn't going to be happening because of the situation. Uh, and it, it is coming back, but gradually. Um, so anyway, he, so he has a whole bunch more training now, including these two three-hour sessions on Tuesday and Thursdays. Um, and he doesn't eat that much. I mean, he's a good eater, but as far as like food choices, he's not you know, like, I mean, it, it would be hard in our house to like make bad food choices because there just aren't that many. But mm-hmm. he just has never like been someone who just eats as much as I want him to, or like, you know, like a lot of kids, right? You, you just, it's always hard to get them to finish their dinner, um, especially when it's the, the healthiest of dinners. So I said, like, it's fine. Like, I'm not going to keep, I mean, that fight is just one that gradually we will win, but not, not any one time will we, he suddenly start eating. So I said, at, at the least, let's make sure we nail the, the before and during workout nutrition, because if he goes into a three hour soccer training session and he's not, hasn't had anything, you know, for lunch, it's not going to be good if he doesn't eat anything before this thing. So he said, let's at least get that going and we'll make sure we do a good job with that. So that had me digging up all the old Nomad Athlete posts about workout nutrition because uh, back when I was doing the Boston qualifying mission and uh, ultra marathon running, I was paying a whole lot more attention to these things. And then I had kids and all that. And I started to say like, well, I'm just going to do an 80% version of that where I get the basic concepts, but don't really think about the details because uh, that's what works for me, and that's kind of the, the level the, the fitness priorities are compared to everything else I got going on. So anyway, I have been completely revisiting this workout nutrition and making lists of before, during, after workout foods that we can pack in the car and have and all this stuff. So like that's that for me was the uh, the motivation to to go into some of this, which we also happen to have been talking about for the past month on Nomad Athlete a lot with the blog content. Yeah. So looking forward in this episode to just covering some of those basics and how we are handling those things now and you're still uh you're still in the game as far as running goes and still still using nutrition right workout nutrition you're still thinking about that i am well yeah i mean you know i think about it less and less i think as a lot of runners do uh, or athletes do as you get you know more accustomed to it but it just kind of becomes part of the routine but mm-hmm. uh, always yeah i'm definitely still running and uh and still fueling for those runs there you go. Good. So you on, on a typical day run, I don't know what is a typical day run for you, but let's say you're going out for like a seven mile mm-hmm. run, which is probably takes you somewhat over an hour. Yeah. Right. I mean, just a little bit, maybe, I don't know how fast you go, but do you, are you, are you eating a before and probably not during, are you eating before and workout like specific things for that? Or is it just more like that will just fit into your day because it's a seven mile run and you can make it happen right after lunch or before dinner or something. And then you don't have to think about eating around it. Yeah. Well, it's a good question. So my typical like everyday run is an hour and it's more about an hour than the distance. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it kind of depends on what I'm doing, whether I'm doing road or, or trail or something. But um, yeah, I would say that 80% of the time I am thinking a little bit about it where about an hour before I'll have a small stack, just a piece of fruit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other 20% are like, oh, I have a second to go run. Why don't I go do it? Um, and so I'll just like head out the door. But I am thinking a little bit about an everyday run. But, you know, because they don't always fall in at the same time, you know, it could be afternoon, it could be evening, it could be post, you know, putting a lot down for bed, you know, and it's kind of late, you know, and at that point, like I'm not going to have a huge snack because I haven't had dinner yet. Um or have already had dinner, uh, you know, so it, it, because it, they're kind of at random times, I don't, uh, I don't work too hard at that pre workout nutrition for just an hour long run. And I think most people, you know, unless you're having a really hard workout, really difficult workout, or if you're fairly new to running and still trying to get the hang, you you know, get the hang of, um, of that type of exercise and in, in, in an hour long exercise, then you're not, you don't necessarily have to pay too much attention to, 
to what you're eating, as long as you're getting a little bit of something 30, 45 an hour before, before you run. Yeah, so this brings up a couple things for me. Um, I mean, I do want to go in, so so that when we talk about this, people will say, well, why are you eating a piece of fruit before you run? Like, why? what, what would motivate that choice? Um, I do want to get into, like, a little bit of that. But I also wonder, like, just philosophically, bigger picture, do you think, because this is one something that I struggled with and never really found an answer, um, but on one hand, like, you want to fuel so that you can get your best workout in. Uh in my case with, with Holden and soccer, I want him to be eating properly so that he will recover fast and have everything he needs to not be draining, straining his body too much. Um, well, because he is straining his body a lot and to be ready to work out the very next day, I'm thinking he better make sure that, that anything possible for recovery, um, and even pre-covery is, is available to his body to use. So that's where that thing comes from. But there's also the whole you know, carb depleted training thing, which was about sure. learning to or teaching, basically requiring your body to burn, to get good at burning fat for fuel, because there wasn't always going to be just ample amounts of glycogen there for the burning, um, which is turns out to be a good thing for running. Cause then you not only require less calories to take in, but you, you can go longer because the, the taking in calories becomes less of a limiting factor, uh, which it is in long distance runs because you, you can't take in calories as fast as you can burn them. So if you can instead, burn fat, then, you know, you're at an advantage. Um, and it does several other things, you know, it kind of, you get better at your body staying at this sort of, uh, I guess, aerobic kind of zone before you shift into this fat burning thing, which with brings with it, sorry, shift into the sugar burning mode, which brings with it other kind of physiological changes that are kind of meant for like a quick, short burst, not long endurance. So what I, one of the big things that I never really did intentionally, but noticed in my training was that like, I just started le- needing less and less food and even less water, which was really surprising to me. Yeah. Um, but I also, like, once I got pretty good at that, meaning didn't need that much of it, I, I did notice sometimes that, like, if for some reason I did bring water an extra time or, or I don't know, if it was a particularly hot day, I'd realize, like, you know, I've gotten good at this thing, but I'm also probably hurting my workouts versus if I was taking something. So I don't know. I just never quite... I guess found an answer to that balance. Like, how much do you want to give your body everything it could possibly want in abundance, like your garden, uh, versus <laughs> you know giving it just enough to get the job done, but not not make it too easy. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is a good question, and I think it kind of depends on your goal of the of the workout too. Um, you know, because if you if you were to every day, if you were to fuel optimally before you're just standard one hour run, you know, you would probably feel better during that standard one hour run, mm-hmm. um, and be able to push a little bit harder. But, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily what you want to do all the time, you know, in part because <laughs> if you're, if you're taking in a bunch of calories before you run, then you're probably not going to burn off as many of those calories that, that you just took in. And, and you might, you know, and, Like, I think that depending on your, your situation, how much you're eating, you might actually, you know, be taking in more calories than you're burning throughout the run. Um, Right. Which Which for some, which for someone who's training and that's their goal is achieve a certain race goal that, that may be fine. But if you're exercising for fitness or weight loss, then, then of course that would be counterproductive. Right. If you're just, if you're just trying to maintain fitness or, or lose weight. Right. Um, you know, but if you're in the heat of a, exactly what you said, if you're in the heat of a training cycle, if, if every run counts, you know, for something it's, it, and it serves a significant purpose, either that's a, a strength workout or, um, or, you know, speed workout or recovery run or, or whatever long run, you know, if, if every single run serves a really specific purpose, then you want to do that run optimally. And so, you know, if it's a strength workout or a speed workout, then you want to go as hard as you can. <laughs> you know, and you you want right. that you want it to be as effective as possible, and so fueling ahead of those is uh, you know is more important than if you're just like me, where you're not really training anything, you're just trying to maintain a level of fitness, maintain a level of of you know ability to do long runs when I want to. Then I, I don't I don't feel like I really need to do that. Right, right. And, but but what one more, one more thing that you kind of touched on is I do think that there is some benefit, especially for distance runners, in learning how to run with without 
proper fuel and without all the hydration and everything like that. Because, and you know, if you're, especially if you're doing ultra marathons or, or even marathons, like you're just going to reach a point in the race where you're starting to bonk, you're starting to crash, you're, you're really thirsty and you just don't have that water available. You don't have that fuel available. Or mm-hmm. even if you did and you just started taking it in, then it just, it isn't quenching your thirst or whatever in, in the way that you want it to. Um, and so on a day-to-day basis, just getting a little bit more comfortable being a little bit thirsty during the run, being a little bit hungry, being a little bit calorie depleted. Like that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing because then, you know, you'll just get more comfortable in that type of situation and be able to handle it better. Right. You know, as we were planning for this episode, um, you know, during all those hours we were planning for this episode together, <laughs> yep. uh, we, uh, you mentioned that you could talk about it from a running perspective. And I said, well, I'm just gonna talk about it from this soccer perspective. Cause that's what for me has been the, the motivator for thinking about this. And I said, that seems good, except in all the thinking I've done about this in 10 years' time, uh, I can't say there's a clear difference between fueling strategies for running, even versus something like weightlifting, which seems like it would be opposite strategy, um, and then much less this sort of middle ground where it's like in between anaerobic and aerobic workouts, um, you know, like a, like a soccer thing, where, there's, where there are right. some sprints and intervals and strength things, but also endurance required. Um and and it's not that not that there aren't differences in in training or, or in in fueling philosophies because there are plenty of philosophies. But the problem is there are different philosophies within endurance and within weightlifting. Sure. And you, I mean, for me, just looking at them, you can't look at them and say, well, it's clear that all these philosophies are this way, and all the ones for this other sport are this other way. Like, it's really not. Like to me, there it's it's almost like there's no difference. Um, there, like I said, there are plenty of differences in between how individuals do it, but but like large scale. It's not necessarily that that a strength workout needs more protein or something like that. Um, it's just I just don't know the difference. But what we just brought up, what is one of the clear differences that we didn't think of before, which is that like with something like running, you are especially ultra running, you're you're kind of part of the fueling strategy is to make it so that you're never too comfortable with your fuel. Not not never, but that sometimes you're not too comfortable. Your body's not too comfortable with the fuel it has available because you want it to have to adapt and get better at burning this fuel. So you, so you or burning fat for fuel. So you can go longer. Right. Um, or so that you can survive in a situation, not survive, but, but keep doing well in a situation where you don't have water and you don't have food for a little while. But in holding soccer situation or any soccer player situation, like the, the game's never going to be more than 90 minutes. There's always going to be a break halfway through it to, to, you know, time to do whatever you need to, to eat or drink. Um, you know, in some, his training right now where he's doing these back-to-back sessions and it's three hours, that's kind of an exception, but he doesn't really need to ever train his body to do the fat burning thing. Cause he's going to be sprinting immediately in a game within the first five minutes, there's going to be a little sprint somewhere. Um, so that actually is a difference. Like, like there would be hmm. no reason, I don't think for someone in his situation to really try to force his body to adapt by, by not having all the fuel right, available that right, you'd want right. there, there might be some slight benefit to increasing your your like or i guess yeah increasing the threshold at which your body shifts into this carb burning mode then you might be able to like just recover faster from sprints and things like that uh but i, I think that'd be more of a, a function of just your fitness level and, and how how well you've trained than uh than what you're eating so that that's actually an interesting difference right there yeah. And then also, well, and, the, and even oh, go ahead. carrying and portability, right? With running, certainly, like the sure. foods that you choose to bring, that's portability is going to be a factor. Um, with him, it's like we can throw something in his bag, and he'll have it in between the two the two sessions. So it's not like that's not mm. a big factor. You know, I mean, I, I think that for the most part, I, I agree with you that there there just aren't that many differences. But you know, I think well, I guess the outlier is ultra running, right? <laughs> you know, because you know, a five k is considered distance you know, by, by, by some people, the track and field world, you know, uh, 10 Ks, half marathon, marathon, like, you know, in my opinion, there's kind of the sprints, there's the middle distance and then, you know, which goes all the way up to half marathon or something and then marathon and, and that's its own little kind of gray area. And then ultra running is, is totally different, you know, because if you're, if you're mostly running five and 10 Ks, then you don't really, again, you don't really need to get into that fat burning stage. Um, it's just right. very different than right. if you're running for 50, 50 miles or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just the ultra running is, is, is the different. <laughs> and, and marathoning too. To some mm-hmm. right? I mean, if, if you're a four hour marathoner or even right. more, that's, that's a long time out there and, and that will have sort of its own Definitely. strategy. Definitely. I'd say most marathoners will, 
you know, that's why I kind of put it in this gray area because most marathoners will be out there long enough that, you know, that they'll, they'll fall, fall almost into that ultra marathon category. Right. Right. Whereas some people finish marathons in two hours and don't take anything except for water. Right. Right. Which is incredible, but yeah, which is me. That's what I do. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's hit quickly on some of the basics. I don't want to go into too much of the details. Uh, I hope to give a little bit more accurate kind of reflection of like the way for practical purposes that we think of this, but I do want to get to what it is. Um, you know what, before we do that, why don't we, why don't we pause for a second? Thank our sponsor. Sponsors. Let's do it. Today's episode is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Osea puts your health and the health of our planet first with potent skin and body care solutions that are pure, safe, and effective. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. Their entire line is built on these four pillars and pulls from botanical sources around the world to create products that are truly effective. Each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral-rich bioavailable base which can help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions. And on top of that, every product is sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. Matt, the other day I was, uh, I, <laughs> I walked in on Eliza, who was in our room, and, and I was like, what are you doing? Because I saw her kind of playing with something, and, and uh, she had the ocean mist, and she was just uh, like squirting it and walking through it, and she's like, I'm being like you, daddy. <laughs> My daughter also loves the ocean mist. She's never said I'm being like you, daddy, when she squirts it and walks through it. But she also loves the ocean mist. Actually, to be technically correct, Doug, it is the sea minerals mist, but we also call it the ocean mist. Um, so I've, I've been a big on the advanced protection cream. I keep talking about that one in every ad we do, it seems. Um, but I've expanded. I've broadened my horizons. Sometimes now I use the atmosphere protection cream, which is a little bit thinner. So it's sometimes I, I, like, the, I like the other one at nighttime um, mm-hmm. just because it feels like a bigger kind of cream. So this one's sort of nice in the day, but what I've what I'm my new discovery is the brightening serum, which Ooh. is useful for my if I if I had to have one uh, cosmetic complaint about my face, it's the uh, it's the discoloration that I've gotten from all those years of running without thinking about sunscreen because I mm. have I have like the old person kind of marks around my eyes now, um, and I just I just don't know why I was so dumb when I was little or not little when I was a kid, um, and and an adult to run without the stuff. So anyway, uh, what that one does is evens out color tones and things like that. So I've been super into that and uh, hoping that it will, it will allow me to fix all those young mistakes. Man, I can't wait for the day that we actually get to see each other and have a beer and, uh, and get to see how radiant we both look. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> from, our, from our months of uh, Osea. <laughs> Go to oseamalibu.com slash athlete. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash athlete. For $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more. That's free shipping for U.S. orders over $75 and free samples with every order. Matt, this week's episode is also brought to you by one of your favorite sponsors. <laughs> is it one of mine or one of your favorites, Doug? Well, I think both of ours, I think right? it's both. Bombas. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually I'm wearing a pair of Bombas right now, and, and uh, that had nothing to do with the ad because I just wear them all the time. There's always your Bombas. <laughs> Bombas has rethought every little detail of the socks we wear to make them more comfortable. With a variety of styles, Bombas look great at the gym, they look great at home, they look great when you're running, pretty much anywhere you can wear your Bombas. And for every Bombas purchase you make, they'll donate a pair to someone in need. I already said I am wearing a pair right now. And, you know, I will say I was a little worried because they're kind of thick. And we, when we first started wearing Bombas, it was in the winter and in the, in the spring. I was a little concerned about Bombas being a good summer sock, but... Turns out they're great. Still wear them on our own. For every pair you purchase, Doug, Bombas donates a second pair to someone in need. And I think I'm someone in need right now because if you, did you get a new shipment of Bombas for this for the new ads? <laughs> I did not. I actually bought a, a pack of Bombas because ah. I liked them so much. Okay, good. All right, just make sure it was fair here. <laughs> the generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 plus giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash no meat. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash no meat for 20% off. Thank you, Osea and Bombas, for your continued support. All right. Back to uh, back to nutrition. Work on nutrition. Okay. So let's let's go through the principles. We're not going to get bogged down in details. Um, mm-hmm. 
Should we go over the, you know, just, I guess this is a, a detail that a lot of people aren't actually going to follow. I know I use it as kind of a guide, but I'm definitely not counting any sort of ratios or anything like that. Should, should we go through the three, four, five? Yes, because it's good. I, the formula is good because even if you don't care about the differences, if you just remember that that's the general vicinity mm-hmm. you should be in, that helps. And honestly, that is how I mostly think about post-workout or workout nutrition now. Um so yeah, so it's three to one, four to one, five to one. That's the thing to remember. Three, four, five. That's what you need to remember. And that corresponds to before, during, and after the ratio of carbohydrate to protein. So before your workout, you're looking at three to one, meaning that if you take in 30 grams of carbohydrate in your pre-workout meal, you'd want about 10 grams of protein in that pre-workout meal. Then similarly, four to one for during, five to one for after. So that's simple enough. And like I said, even if you don't know about because to me those are not giant differences right the difference between three to one and four to one uh just not that you know it's uh what 75 25 versus 125 they're they're not that great a difference and to me if you're just in that range then you know you're doing more than most people do when they think about nutrition um so you could just remember four to one and do that for all of them if you wanted um so what's not given there and this is always I guess a point of confusion, but this is where it comes down to kind of what you feel like doing, um, is how much. When we talk about ratio, I mentioned 30 and 10 as an example of the amount of grams of carbohydrate and protein you might get in that pre-workout meal. Um, I've never really followed like specific guidelines on exactly how many calories that pre-workout meal should be. Um, but I think 30 and 10 is actually not a, a horrible guess. That would be like a typical piece of fruit and maybe a, a couple hand, a handful of nuts or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the nuts provide fat and you'll notice that in those ratios, there's no mention of a fat, uh, amount. And that is because most of the time you don't, you don't try to get fat in these around workout meals. Uh, I know some philosophies do, and some of the fat, I've even heard some of the fat burning people talk about using fat as, as their intake fuel. Um, but it, typically I think it is thought that fat will kind of slow the, the, uh, rate at which the carbohydrate becomes glycogen and becomes useful for your muscles, uh, so that is something to be avoided, along with potentially stomach issues that can cause can, can be caused by fat compared to the other nutrients. Um, so that's that is my understanding as to why fat's not in there. Um, and and thirty to ten, you know, which I guess would be what that'd be forty calories or, or forty grams, which is about one hundred sixty calories in that meal. Um, I think that's not. It, of course, depends on the type of workout you're doing and all that. Uh, but that would be a, a typical like with an hour before the workout that you might eat something like that. Yeah. Um, I've also done in the past, a long time ago, I was doing like a, eight ounces or so of like orange juice or some kind of whatever fruit juice I had uh, and stirring in like a half scoop of protein powder. Uh, although back then this was way protein powder. This was like in 2008 probably. Um, but you could do it with hemp protein powder or whatever else uh, or whatever vanilla pea protein powder you have or whatever. It would, it would all work. So like little, little small amount of protein. protein. What's that? Or your complement protein powder. Or your complement protein would be the best choice. Forgot that we had that (laughs) that would also be a good idea (laughs) um so yeah i don't know is that is that uh is that consistent with i keep saying before workout but honestly like i said like this this really would be almost any of the workout meals and i've also realized like like while the ratio is changing as i've started to plan these meals out for uh my son like the same foods that you are good for any of those things is is good for the other. Um, again, I know there are, there are differences, and there are some people who think about this way more and obsess over these details, and for them, that's not the case. Uh, for me, like when I think of the carbohydrate sources that are good for this, you want things that are, that are quick digesting, uh, that don't have a whole lot of fiber with them, and again, not too much fat. Um, and so like something like rice cakes for example and again around not again again because i've said it a hundred times in the history of nomadathy but not on this episode yet um (laughs) this is the time when you don't need to pay attention and shouldn't pay attention in fact if you're looking just for for performance reasons um to like refined carbohydrates versus unrefined Uh, and in fact the white rice would be a better choice than the brown rice because there's less fiber uh and and that processing that it has undergone removing some of the 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 uh what is it the more i guess more complex parts of the carbohydrate um that that processing will help it get into your into your muscles faster and that's true even after your workout you still want that immediate uh you want those carbohydrates to to become available for immediate uh recovery replenishment during that that short window after your workout um so even then you're, you're still focusing on the simple carbs rather than complex which would be for me is more like an hour or two after the a workout would you start to think about that so anyway my point is 
things like dates are always great. They have a large amount of glucose in them, gets very quickly into your bloodstream. That's why we always say the dates are like nature's energy gel because they're also kind of the same size as an energy gel. Um, but those white rice, bananas, those kinds of things, and fruit juice sometimes, um, they all work for, for all these phases before, during, and after a workout. Uh, so I don't know. I find that interesting. I think a lot of people think that, that the foods, the foods, I mean, yes, you want this ratio to be different and that will tweak some, some of your choices somewhat. And perhaps the quantities, if you have two or three foods in there. Um, but the foods themselves don't really need to, to change based on when it is around your workout. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's so true, and and you know the the three four five framework is is really good to keep in the back of your mind, and and it could impact you know how many nuts you're adding to your oatmeal or whatever, um, you know how mm-hmm. much nut butter you're putting on a banana, but uh, you know I I think you're exactly right that if you can they're so similar that if you can just basically fall somewhere within that four to one ratio, give or take a little bit, um, both before, during, and after, then you're going to be pretty golden yeah um i would agree with that we another thing here like we didn't talk about the differences in the time before your workout so during your workout is is during your workout and then that's whatever you take then have i mean in an ultra marathon of course what you eat in the first 10 miles is going to be different from what you eat in mile 90 through 100 but that's probably dictated by what your stomach is tolerating at that point mm-hmm. uh not any kind of strategy necessarily um before though, like, well, hold on. Before, yeah, during that, during, why don't we let's give some examples of of both when you're doing a a long run, they'll say three hour run, uh, and and then like maybe what Holden's taking during his break. Yeah, that, yeah, okay, let's do that. So this is a, this gets and there. I mean, as you can tell, there are a whole lot of uh, it's not misinformation. It's just I feel like this sort of stuff is first of all just kind of. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's an absence of scientific research on what works best for these, or if it's that there are so many passionate people who talk about exactly what works well for them, uh, and then suddenly that becomes like the new thing. I don't know. But it, it just there's so much controversy. So like here, there's there's like what you should eat, and we had Brian Powell on a long time ago, and he he made the point in his episode that like the, the, really what you should eat during an ultra marathon. Um, is is sugars, energy gels. If you can just keep eating that, then that's going to be the best fuel you can eat. The problem is not everybody can do that, and people get tired of that, and people who aren't trying to win the race have a goal of just finishing the race, and then comfort becomes a factor. And if you're not eating food that makes you comfortable and happy, that might become another reason to quit. It, you might not realize it is, but that might be just adds to your unhappiness and makes you then at mile 50 or 70 decide, I'm, I'm done with this. Right. So... That you know that whole whole factor changes everything as well, um, and then there's the and then there's the like simple carbs for now, complex carbs for later idea, uh, which I believe is actually a fallacy because as I said earlier, like you you get to a point where you can't take in carbohydrate as fast as you can use it, so before the workout, uh, it might make sense to have some carbs that are going to be for later, but once you hit a certain point in your in, in an ultra marathon you're you're not able to keep up with what you're going through and that's that's the only struggle at that point so there would be no reason to eat something that is gives you carbs later when immediate and now is when you know you're in in a shortage mhm yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah it's like that's why i don't know where to even go with it it's just there's so many different mm-hmm. facets of how you do it oh and then one more thing this is probably actually the most useful or or at least most uh relatable point here is that a lot of these runs for the first 15 miles you eat the sugar and the stuff you're supposed to and then you just get sick of eating sugar and that's when you switch to something that is that's you know more like real food because that's what keeps you out there and then Mm -hmm. it goes into you know the the pitas with hummus was always a favorite of mine or the tortillas with the um with free fried beans on them but uh i don't know i mean what, what were you gonna say like what is that is that how your typical 20 mile 25 mile run would look well, I mean, if I'm doing, if I'm just going out solo, then I'm not carrying tortillas and, and refried beans, right? Like mm-hmm. during a, a longer race or something like that, you know, maybe my crew would have that, but if I'm just going out solo, then, um, yeah, it does, it does kind of, sh- it, but it still, it still shifts over those, the time, right? So I'll start out with, uh, you know, sugary stuff, either 
an energy gel or energy blocks or um, you know some sort of uh, something like dates, some sort of high sugar fruit, um, and then and then I usually transition to something a little bit more savory. I'll bring some sort of snack, whether that is like a, a, a like a peanut butter bar or something like that, or um, even some like chocolate, <laughs> um, like some really dark chocolate or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just something that's a little bit more comfortable on, on my stomach. Um, you know, wraps, I often do a lot of wraps like peanut butter in a white tortilla. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, maybe I'll put in some raisins or a little bit of, of, uh, agave or something to get that sugar. But, um, yeah, I usually try to just keep it. Sorry, <laughs> I had to sneeze. <laughs> Usually, just try to keep it simple, um, and and but I do try to transition from that from that sweet to something a little bit more savory, uh, just because that's what feels good on the stomach, a little bit heartier too. Right. Um, you know, but but if I'm going out for something less than that, like ninety minutes, and I still want to bring a little bit of something, uh, then oftentimes I'll do like a sports drink that has some calories in it, something like Tailwind, mm-hmm. uh, or. Um, or I'll bring, you know, a little little bit of dried fruit or, or some sort of fruit that is easy to can, easy to carry. Gotcha. So we should touch on sports drinks and things like that because people do want to always know about that. Um, before we leave the pre-workout too far behind, the, the point that I wanted to make there was that, like, how long in advance of your workout you're eating, mm. that actually would dictate a lot of not just what you're eating but also the amount. Um, and the way like, typically when I – do it at least or, or have done it in the past few years like once i got past the point of really you know basically after after i qualified for boston and like stopped caring about that extra five percent edge or whatever it was from really focusing on the stuff um the easiest thing for me was think about it right before the workout. think about it 30 minutes before the workout what am i going to have as a matter of routine um because like you kind of mentioned earlier your workouts all at all different times in the day so it's kind of hard at least for me to be organized enough to rely on like, here's my two hour before the workout meal that I'm going to always have before I go on my workout. Uh, yeah. that's not, that's not nearly as consistently going to happen as if it's half hour before the workout, I can know, like, as soon as I start thinking about getting dressed or whatever, also eat the pre-workout meal. So I was thinking in those terms. Um, and that's when you really need something that gets into your muscles very quickly, because if you're going to be running for an hour, say, and this is half an hour before you start running, you only have 90 minutes, you know, for that food to even help you. And if it becomes available 80 minutes in to that 90, that's it's not, not much really, yeah. right. You want it to help you for the whole workout or, or after the first 20, 30 minutes, maybe when mm-hmm. your body's gone through what it had. Um, so anyway, those choices, they have to be very quick digesting carbohydrate. Um, that's where the dates were always good. They seems like they like are 20 minutes and they can begin helping you. Uh, and fruit juice also good because that has the fiber removed, so that will also reach your bloodstream faster. Um, fruit juice would probably be the less healthy choice because the date is a whole food, has the fiber still with it. Um, but fiber does become a hindrance eventually, so you don't. it's one of the problems with using whole foods for workout nutrition is the fiber that is so good for long-term health and, and just general balancing of your system um, <clears throat> is not helpful for, for intense workouts or optimizing performance. So... That's a different point, but the point is, uh, if you've got two hours before the workout, you know, then you can eat something more like oatmeal um, that's right. you know a little more solid, not immediately, not not already sugar, um, <clears throat> something that, that has a little bit of time to to be converted uh, into something that's useful for your body. So, just wanted to point out that that one tip, and then also yeah, that's, I, that's I would good. imagine you're going to eat more calories then too, right? Like you might have an entire smoothie an hour or two before your workout, right? Um, because you're going to use up some of those calories in the meantime. Uh, but also because your your body can handle, you can digest, and you're not going to want to drink a whole smoothie ten minutes before you go out for your run. It's just not a good idea, right? You know, and, and that that kind of touches on a lot of like energy gels, the or gummies or something like that. Suggest the suggested time to take them is 15 minutes before you work out, mm-hmm. or to take the first one, and that you know plays into this. Uh, you know, it's quick burning. It's it's designed specifically to act very quickly. So if you took it an hour or something like that, then it wouldn't do anything. Or if you right. waited, right. you know, until you were halfway into a 60 minute run, then it wouldn't do anything either. But if you take it right before, then it'll kind of give you that little boost. But, right. um, good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, shifting back to during workout, we mentioned a couple of the foods, uh, that we would typically eat during it. Um, 
we didn't really talk about how much. I've always gone by 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. I believe you always think about calories per hour. Is that right, Doug? Yeah. And what's what is your what's the calorie number that I usually aim for like 150. 150 per hour. Okay. So 30 to 60 grams would get you between 90, no, between 120 and 240 uh, calories. So it's that you know your number is in the middle there. Um, not in the middle, but your number is in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's and that would be like uh, two dates is uh, two medjool dates is is 30 grams. So that that was always my my uh, benchmark, I guess. Yeah, um, a banana is about 105 calories. You know, if we're looking that way. Okay. Um, so yeah, so a little more than a banana an hour, uh, you know, would hit your, your calorie. Cool. Um, All right. And then we mentioned sports drinks, um, sports drinks, big topic, of course, uh, because there's everything from, from Gatorade, which is, I mean, does the job of putting calories into your system fairly quickly, but it does it with a whole lot of ingredients that are not ones that most people who listen to this type of podcast would really want, uh, to be eating on a regular basis. Um, it's also probably not the most effective, at least for me. Uh, I, I just always drank that kind of stuff and didn't think twice about it. And then when I did my hundred miler and maybe even like just one or two training runs before it, uh, I started drinking, um, what's it called? Doug, I'm blanking on the name. Who? Hammer, uh, hammer, makes hammer. It. Yeah. Heat. Ha- Heat, right? Heat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't even remember what the type of sugar is, why it's different from Gatorades. Now I think Gatorade is mostly sucrose. Um, but Heed was different, and somehow when I drank Heed, I could go. I went all the whole race, whatever that took me, twenty eight hours, uh, and I didn't get sick of drinking it the way with Gatorade. When I drink Gatorade during a marathon, like by mile twenty, I just would would not want any more of that ever, because uh, you just couldn't handle any more of it. But somehow the Heed was easy for me to keep drinking. So I think that's going to vary by the individual. Um, there are lots of good natural options out there, which you, of course, Doug can speak more intelligently about than I can these days. Um, and you can also make it at home. You could, you could make your own sports drink. You could do the, the old, like one part water, one part fruit juice, pinch of salt, uh, that, that will make you a, a sports drink that works. Not, is it the ideal perfect sports drink? Obviously not. Uh, it's not, not finely tuned in terms of carbohydrates or electrolytes. Uh, but it has some of those in there and it does it in a, in a fairly healthy manner. Um, so that's, that's a simple way to, to make a sports drink. We've also got the switchel on Nomade Athlete. If you Google Nomade mm-hmm. Athlete Switchel, which is S-W-I-T-C-H-E-L, um, it's this old sports drink that uh, I guess workers in fields used to eat and, or drink, uh, and it has a little bit of vinegar in there that makes it kind of taste more like a sports drink, but it's mostly fruit juice and water. Uh, a couple other little things. Yeah, I well, so there is definitely a difference in, in the type of sports drink. You're, you know, like you're saying, Gatorade is not going to be the same as some of the more refined uh, options like he like uh, like tailwind, which is the one I prefer. Um, but those are getting you about heat and, and tailwind are both getting you about a hundred to 120 calories per serving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is if you were to, you know, that's not too far off from if you were to drink a bottle of that an hour, it's not too far off from, um, you know, what we were talking about with right. as far as the serving size. So, you know, if you were doing that and, uh, and also a little bit of fuel, you know, some fruit or something like that, then you're probably coming pretty close to falling inside that range. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at, looking at the, at, at tailwinds nutrition panel right now. And it's, um, 25 grams of, of carbs, zero grams of protein. So no protein, but you know, that's, that's almost hitting your 30 carb threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, you know, there are sports drinks and popular ones that I, I don't know if they really qualify as sports drinks, more electrolyte drinks, but I think people still put them in the same category, uh, you know, like, um, uh, what's it called? Oh, it was just on the tip of my tongue. What's the... None? None, yeah. Noon. Noon or none. Yeah, right. So that's like just electrolytes, but it's probably zero calorie or maybe 10 calories or something like that. So, right. you know, you do need to kind of, you can't really assume that um, you know, all sports drinks are the same because they're definitely not. So, you know, there's a difference between an electrolyte drink and something that's actually giving you sugar and calories. Right. Yeah, that's a huge distinction. I mean, if you if you made that mistake, you could get in real trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when I wrote the Nomadic Cookbook, uh, my co-author Stephanie Romine, her her husband uh, was a competitive cyclist, and she told me that at that point the trend among athletes was kind of to move towards uh, the electrolyte drinks because they were choosing to get, and this may be more true of cyclists who have greater flexibility to carry things with them, um, but it was to kind of get your electrolytes and water from your from from liquids and just would just be electrolyte drink, um, and then get your get your carbohydrates and calories from food salads hmm. uh and i think it just sort of gave more flexibility because you've got the water factor in there right you you can't it, it, you don't want to get too much water obviously right it's not, not a good idea to be getting too much um yeah. so if that's sort of tied up with your number of calories where every time you take in calories you also are taking in water with it it doesn't allow you the flexibility to get the exact amounts you want so i think mm-hmm. that was why uh, it hmm. kind of separated or it does separate the the liquid from the from the calories um, but I don't know. Have you seen, is that, is that a, a real trend or maybe that was just among cyclists? You know, that's not a trend that I have seen in running. In fact, I've seen people getting more and more calories from liquids, mm. uh, okay. with running, but you know, but that might just be the circles I'm in and, uh, you know, it could be different elsewhere and cycling, like you said, could be, could be very different, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I've actually seen more and more people getting the majority of their calories from liquids, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually, I love the, the blend of the two. And so I'll always have, have both, um, because in part, because of what we talked about earlier, which was just like what your stomach can handle and how, you know, how you're, what you're craving and things like that. And oftentimes I'm, I just don't do very well eating a lot or, or consuming a lot of, of food, um, when I'm running. And so if I can get some of the cal- if I can make up some of the difference, by drinking some of it, then, right. Right. you know, then I'll, then I'll be kind of, I'll be better off. Yeah. Yep. Makes total sense. Um, all right. Anything else about during workout before we move on to post-workout? No, don't think so. Post is interesting because, you know, timing is, is, is very important with post as well. Right. So forever, it was just the rule was during the post-workout window, which for some people meant the first 15 minutes after you finish your workout. For other people meant the first 30 minutes after you finish your workout. You had to get something during that time. And that was, you know, supposedly going to jumpstart your recovery. Uh, and that was the thing everyone swore by. You eat something, usually lots of car- carbohydrates. Uh, I would do something like, I don't know, 80 grams or something. It was a pretty big meal. Mm. Um, and I think I think in our post, we just wrote a moment out that we said a quarter or sorry, three quarters uh three quarters of a gram of carbohydrate per pound of body weight. So that that's a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was the like the sacred post-workout recovery window. Uh, and then a paper came out and a study on on why that was actually a myth and it didn't matter um, as long as you were eating some, you know, I think it was what you ate within the 24 hours of your workout, they said, was was actually what mattered. Um, and it seemed like for a while, like people were onto that and into that. And then it seemed like everyone just went back to ignoring that and saying, well, we're just going to go by the conventional wisdom. Uh, so I don't know what the answer is, but to me, it's like, you know, you're, you're pretty, I was always pretty starving after a long run, uh, right. more than anything, I'd want like a big loaf of bread, which turned out to be perfect for that kind of meal, like a, like a baguette from the grocery store, uh, just white bread mm. or white rice with soy sauce on it that I just wanted that so bad at the end of a workout. Um, but just as well would work something like fruit juice, you know, basically the same foods we've talked about earlier where they're, where they're, they will get quickly to your muscles to start that recovery process. Um, so like, you know, whether that post-workout meal is, or sorry, that post-workout window is as sacred as we always believed or not, um, it doesn't really matter. I'm still going to want to eat then. So like, why not just eat that? It's not like it hurts you to eat that meal. So it seems like just do it. Um, and, and again, like the five to one carbohydrate protein thing is what you're looking for during this. Uh, but the, what I always ended up doing, and this was even when I was in the Boston qualifying thick of things, uh, and paying a lot of attention was I just said, I'm just going to eat something very high, high carbohydrate immediately after I'm done. Uh, and then, you know, two hours later, I'm going to have a, a normal plant-based meal, uh, could be beans and rice. Often I would kind of make it higher protein, not necessarily needed, but, uh, could be a big smoothie that had some protein added to it. Um, whatever. I mean, there's so many different plant-based meals and I'm thinking of none of them all of a sudden, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like a normal meal, uh, right. that's what I would do two hours. And then honestly, the rest of the day, every two hours, it seems like I'm hungry after a long run anyway. Uh, so that that's what I did, and so, like so I, I will say that you know, really what you what you just touched on is something we probably should have said at the very beginning, or something I should have said, and that is that um, when it comes to workout nutrition, I 
you know, I, I, I have these guidelines and I try to kind of fall within there. But really what I'm doing is listening to my body and trying to eat what feels natural, right? So if something feels good and light and feels like it'll give me energy right before a run, then that's what I'm eating. If it feels comfortable and feels like it's giving me energy during a run, then that's what I'm eating. And afterwards, like you just said, I'm often really hungry. And so I just want to eat a bunch of carbs right after, but mm-hmm. not a huge meal, just like something to kind of like calm, you know, the hangaries and, uh, <laughs> and kind of get me through the next hour or two as I take a shower and do some strength work and you know whatever else like tend to my kid um you know whatever it is then you know like just whatever i can put myself feed myself that makes me a little bit comfortable right after the workout and helps me feel like i have a boost of energy again and then once i'm able to settle down once you know my i'm not as hot anymore and once i feel a little bit more rehydrated and things like that then a big meal that is gonna give me a lot of a lot of calories and a lot of food and carbs and fat and protein and everything. Um, you know, that's, that's what feels natural. So when I'm approaching all workout nutrition, no matter the stage, there are these guidelines, but really I'm just listening to what my body wants and what my body's craving. Mm-hmm. I think that is very important. I think, uh, I think if you're eating a good diet all the time, uh, like a lot of these people listening to this show probably are, I hope, uh, I think you're also, you're also more in tuned with, those kind of signals and your body is sending you correct, accurate signals uh, as to mm. what you want. Rather than if, you, if you're just addicted to, to Doritos and soda, then, you know, you can't really trust what, when your body tells you you want more of them, that, that that's what you should be doing. Um, so I, I guess one, one caveat there would be like, I could imagine if I was doing a bunch of long runs these days that as soon as I was done with those, um, I would want impossible whoppers. <laughs> and I don't know if that would be the best choice. So maybe you I can always want impossible. Up. <laughs> so, so maybe there's a way to also keep in mind the, the long-term health factor as well. Like your body does know what it wants. It probably a lot of things in that impossible whopper would help it uh, after a workout. They probably very quickly, you know, help you and, and recover. And you get some salt and replace electrolytes. A lot of things, a lot of good things could happen. Uh, but there's also your body's not really thinking about long-term health. So that's uh, one thing to keep in mind there. Uh, that um, is true. I, I remember and I've told this story a lot. Um, when I was training for my first marathon, I wasn't vegan. I wasn't vegetarian. I, uh, I don't think. Yeah, no, I definitely wasn't. Um, and what I would have after every long run is I would go home and I'd put like a pepperoni, frozen pepperoni pizza in the oven, take a shower, and then come back and eat the entire thing. <laughs> you know, that was like how I thought I was supposed to end my, my long runs. And, and it was like so gross and so disgusting. <laughs> but it's what I wanted. You know, so you do have to you do have to learn to figure out what your signals are actually telling you and uh, and what your body will feel better after you've you've had it. Because, you know, if you if you down an impossible worker impossible burger and uh you know a big coke or a beer or something like that like it might taste really good right after your run but 45 minutes later you're gonna be sitting there and you're gonna oh you're just gonna feel gross right yes so that that brings me to another point which is that like a lot of athletes these days are turning to plant-based diet that is a we've been saying that for for 11 years now but i feel like in the past two three years people actually believe it when we say it because there are mainstream athletes who are doing it uh, and doing it for performance reasons. And it's happening in increasing numbers, and that's super exciting. Who knows where we'll be in 10 more years. Uh, but I think a huge part of that is because when you eat a plant-based diet, you are t- it's not because you're choosing Beyond Burgers over regular burgers. It's because people who eat plant-based diets tend to eat a whole lot of vegetables and fruits, often fresh, often raw. Uh, and I think those foods are tremendously powerful for recovering from, from workouts and races. And... If there's a single mechanism as to why a plant-based diet is better, I would suspect it has to do with that, with the nutrient density uh, of plant-based foods and the amount of anti-inflammatory compounds that you often get, uh, antioxidants that are loaded in these foods. So like, even though that doesn't show up in your macronutrient counts, don't forget the huge salad or the side of kale uh, or the spinach. And not just once, not just the day you did finish your long run, but like all the time. Like that, right. that, and it's not easy to do. I go through weeks where I don't do very well with eating those things, but then I remember and then I get back on it. Um, that stuff is so important to recovery. And I, and I think it is so ignored by so many people. Uh, so don't forget that part. And I'm not saying it needs to be part of your post-workout routine, but uh, it should be, if it's part of your every day, you know, you're going to be getting that benefit. So just make sure that that's, that's still present. Uh, cause that's, that's what those, those frozen pepperoni pizzas and impossible whoppers are not probably providing. So <laughs> make sure you, uh, if you don't skimp on that, 
which gets to a final point here, Doug, and that is one um, that we've been thinking about at Nomad Athlete for, for the past six months, probably. Um, mm-hmm. This idea that we eat plant-based diets and we really care about eating good whole foods uh, that aren't processed, don't have a lot of added ingredients, uh, as close to their natural state as possible or as practical. Uh, and forever, it's been really hard to also do that while you are while you're running or while you're working out. Uh, and the foods that are designed and sold to us as perfect pre or even post or during workout nutrition, um, they may be perfect for, for the benefit they give you in that short term. Uh, just like your pepperoni pizza might have been perfect for the first 15 minutes after, your, after you work out. Uh, but they're not perfect for long-term health and they're, they're not whole foods. And, you know, I, I never really did the sports drinks on a repeated regular basis, uh, when I was training because I didn't want to be taking that stuff in. I didn't want to do the energy gels either. Like maybe on race day, but I don't want to do that all the time. And it just wouldn't work out because then if I wasn't doing it all the time, then it, who knows how I would respond to it on race day. So that's been a problem forever. Dates are a nice nature's energy gel. They're kind of a good substitute, but I said they have the fiber issue. So anyway, the point is there's not been like a good whole food sports nutrition product. Uh, and we have been working on that problem at Nomad Athlete for a while. Um, a few people in our audience know about it because they were part of a group that we, uh, that we you know, worked on, on developing a solution with, uh, but nobody else does. And next week, this is going to go up, this will go up tomorrow from the day we're recording it. Uh, next week, so a week after this goes live, or within a few days after this goes live, we'll be putting out a little uh, teaser surprise about what is coming, and then in the coming weeks we'll tell you about uh, all the details and you can learn a whole lot more. But it's really exciting, one of the most exciting things we've made, um, kind of like the complement pro- products, but but a little bit different. Yes, definitely a little bit different. A uh, little, uh, I don't know, it's a just it, a little more fun. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. something, so I've been testing them and I've been using them uh, pretty much exclusively for all of my long runs and everything uh, recently. And, and just, uh, it's just a really, it feels really clean. It feels really good way to fuel. Yes. And the kids eat them too. And like the kids. crazy. The kids don't stop eating them, even for just regular <laughs> snacks, which is a problem. But <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> it's good for them. It's just, it's just a problem for us. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, more on that coming. Thanks for listening. I hope this was helpful and informative, and we even checked off a Doug's garden story. I know. Did it all. And and we got some bird calls in the end there. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what what bird that was? No, you had a bird call? I hear some in my house. I do Yeah, no, I I I could hear yours. I could hear yours. Oh, I hear only squawking the kind of bird, blue jay-ish sound, but who knows? Okay. But maybe you caught one I didn't. I have a bird story. Do we want to end on a bird story? Yeah, do we want to end? Fine. Okay. <laughs> I was uh, I was at the lake last week, and every evening, um, Eliza and Katie and I would take a canoe ride out to like some different coves, mm-hmm. and um, we were sitting in the canoe like right at sunset. Not a soul on the on the water. It had, it had just had a big storm come through, so like everything was silent. Everything was quiet, and we were in this little dark little cove, and uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere appeared maybe nine different um like turkey vultures mm-hmm. huge birds you know yep. long they are huge. wingspan and just yep. soaring above us and it was just like the coolest most peaceful <laughs> thing i've ever experienced in my entire life they're not like the most attractive birds and they're you know the vultures right. you know they're not all that cool but um <laughs> but it was just like <laughs> it was just it was like this magical experience wow were they circling right above you or above uh nearby uh, above the cove, we couldn't quite figure out what they were going for because they were they were going over the water, and uh-huh. I, I imagine that most that what they eat is not in from the water, uh, so they might right. have been looking at us, <laughs> you know, like about <laughs> right. to come Possibly. swoop down and like Maybe. get Eliza. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just like this really awesome. It was just an awesome thing. They just kept. Excellent. They just stood there. We we sat in that we sat in that uh, cove for maybe like twenty five minutes just watching them. Hmm. You know we have we have. Uh baby turkeys that are here hmm. and there's a name for a, a pack of turkeys and it's not a pack i forget what it is it's some interesting unique collective noun uh and i'm blanking on what it is but anyway we've we've watched they've now they're the teenage turkeys we call them and they go around in this pack of like eight and they keep losing numbers i assume there's like a fox or one of those cats around here that gets them um but it's really neat and they're also not the most attractive animals once they're big and they walk around and they get in the way of cars all the time uh, but watching the little babies and watching them grow up is, has been really cool. 
I that is awesome. That. I'm a, a big rafter. bird watching fan. Rafter of turkeys. Yes, that's what it is. A rafter of turkeys. That's a good name. It is. Um, did I take up? I got binoculars for Father's Day. Oh, no. Yeah. Bird watching accessory. Hey. They have one. And, cool. And they're super awesome. And that's great. So that is up my bird watching game. Are you tracking poster. Your, your bird count? We have a poster on the wall that says Birds of Shope Creek. That's the that's the the road that we live off of. Um, and we just add it. We print off a little picture and we add a new bird every time we we see one. Hmm. So no, we used to we used to say anyone who spots a new bird would win a little mini Lego set, a Chima set was our <laughs> was a game we played, and uh, that was fun for a while. But that's we don't do that anymore. But now we just print off a picture. That's a pretty big prize. If you spot a bird that that you know we probably have forty up there. If you spot wow. a new one, and actually I have I saw a heron the other day back here which i don't understand why because there's no swamps or anything but it was here uh so i need to add that picture but it's nice because every time you look up there and you see one of these pictures and you know that was your bird it feels pretty good i like it that's very cool <laughs> yeah I, I, bird watching is the goofiest thing i never would have thought i'd be into it it is i i really do love doing it <laughs> all right good think all right now everyone gone yep <laughs> <laughs> all right full circle to random stories yeah all right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.